0: Peace to you in the name of God our Father, Amen. You know, this morning I want to talk briefly about one of the more difficult emotions that we many people experience during this type of year, and that that emotion is this: this one of loneliness. I think the video did a great job because I got choked up even watching it. So, but it's such a big deal today. I, I think it's by far one of the reasons, to be honest, that we keep our schedules so busy. I know some people that try to keep their their schedule so busy that they're going from the time they wake up to the time their head hits the pillow so that they can just kind of pass out as they're going to sleep. And they do that so they don't have to think. They don't have to process. They can just kind of pass out. It's one of the reasons we feel our lives so filled with activities even during this time of year. But it's also one of the reasons why we crash into moments of overwhelmed, overburdened, Stressed out, beyond belief, depression. Now you're saying, Pastor, you're kind of putting a buzzkill on my Christmas season right now. And I don't want to do that because Christmas is an incredible time. It is an awesome time. It is a time I get giddy just looking at the trees. I love the colors. I love the ornaments. I, I love seeing the lights as I go through the neighborhoods. I really do. And, and most of us, we enjoy it. We, we do. We, we love the season. It's a time of hope. It's a time to remember but for way too many people today, it's become a time of very burdened pain. Painful memories, depression, and an all-too-real loneliness. And here's maybe the hardest part. They just don't know how to get out of it. And so one of the goals of this morning is to try to bring them back into the Christmas season, right? Right? to bring him back to Jesus, who has his arms opened up wide, saying, I love you, and I care for you, and I'm here. And it's hard. But I want to take a look at this today, and, and I'm going to use 2 Timothy, the, the, lectionary, or the, the, old, or the New Testament reading that we use today, from 2 Timothy 4, because we have an example in Paul who was dealing with a lot of loneliness himself. And not only some of the causes, but you know, how do you get out of it? How do you begin that process of getting to the other side. And I think if you let it, it's really helpful, and it can be a very powerful thing for you this morning. And so just to kind of set the stage, Paul was at the end of his life. He was an old man. He was in prison in Rome. He was waiting to be executed by Nero. It was just a matter of time. All his friends had left him, and that just left Paul in a very lonely, lonely place. And so in this story, we, we begin by just seeing some of the main or most common causes of loneliness in our life and i'm just going to highlight three of them before we get into how do you break out of it one of the first ones that he gives us in this story is this this thing of transitions in life see these are the changes that we all go through in life at one time or another And life in its many ways wonderful or otherwise is always a series of transitions we're born we grow up we go to school we graduate we get jobs we change jobs we retire and then we die and we go get to be with jesus but they're all different transitions, and before each transition, and often in the middle of each transition, we're filled with a lot of stress, and a lot of worry, because there's a lot of change. Just a show of hands, how many of you guys like change in your life? Just show of hands. Not too many of us, right? Most of us, we, we like the way it is. But life is a series of changes, and it's part of what I say that God is good and life is hard. And every time you make a change in life, there's this tendency to feel overwhelmed and scared, but it's also one of those times that we experience loneliness in some of its deepest ways. In the text this morning, we see that that's where Paul was. He was an old man, he got ready to die, In chapter four, verse six, it says this, for I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. He knew his time was coming, and the time has come for my departure. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. And so he's just saying, I know my time's short. The end is near. I know Nero is going to execute me. God has not changed my my fate in this particular instance. He saved me from the lion's mouth. He saved me from stonings. He saved me all the way through my ministry, but he's not going to save me this time. So I'm going through a bit of a transition, he would say, probably a a little bit of an understatement. But transitions can cause us to be lonely. When we go through those changes, we so often feel like we're going through them all all by our lonesome, all by ourselves. And then there's separation, too, that we see in the midst of this. We see that Paul is isolated from the ones he loves, and so he asked Timothy to come see him. He says, hey, buddy, do your best to get here, right? In verse 9 and verse 21, he mentions seven of his different friends. They're his closest friends in the world, and he misses them. And and kudos to Herb for reading that. That was was awesome. Um, So little props for you, Herb. That was great. Um, It says here, Demas has left me, and Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia, and only Luke is with me. Erastus has gone to Torrance, Tromiphus is sick. And as you read through these scriptures, one of the things that is clear is that Paul was a people person. He didn't go anywhere by himself. And yet here at the end of his life, he's all by his lonesome. He's in prison in a foreign country. He can't just pick up the phone and reach out and touch somebody, you know. And so he's lonely. And what's interesting, we face the same kind of things today. I came across a stat that just caused me to just take a double take. It said that 25% of all Americans move every year. That one quarter of our country picks up and moves someplace else. Now, it could just be across the street or to a different apartment, or it could be across country. But think about the last time you moved. (laughs) Is that a joyous time? I, I mean, maybe once you got all settled in, but... There's the packing, and there's the moving, and then there's the stress of, of refining your, your roots, and then there's finding doctors, and there's finding the new grocery store that you go to, and there's, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of newness. There's new neighbors that you all of a sudden have to get to know. And so often it feels like you're going through it by yourself. It's a lot of moving, to be honest, in our culture, and as a result, there's a lot of us who have no roots especially if you move cross-country, there's no family, no traditions. Think about the traditions that you grew up with when you're alone and there's nobody else. You have to create your own. And that too can cause loneliness. And there's one more that I, I think there's a lot of people in our culture that face this as well. It's rejection. And this is when you felt betrayed, forsaken, abandoned. Paul definitely felt deserted by his friends. Why? Because when things got tough, when the going got rough... Everybody deserted him. Everybody did. And you know what they had? When he went before the defense, before Nero, in verse 16, it says, At my first defense, no one came to support me. Now, there was reasons for that. Had they gone to support them, they'd be in jail with with Paul too. Nero was not a Christian fan. He is the one who lit them on fire to light some of his garden parties. And so he was not a Christian fan. He hated Christians. Many thought that he was the Antichrist. You know, I mean, they just, he was a vicious, vicious person toward the Christians at that time. But here's one of the greatest Christians in human history, and no one came to support him. Yeah, there were reasons, but when you're Paul, And you're all alone at the trial. It says, but everyone deserted me. Paul goes on trial. No one came to speak up in his defense. Everybody copped out. Everybody else had something to do. Hey, look, they had reasons. But Paul was all alone. And yet even in the midst of that, Paul doesn't tend toward the pity party. He doesn't say, I've spent 30 years in the ministry and this is what I get. But he chose not to focus on the hurt but instead he, to- he chose to focus towards Jesus. He tried to get the focus off of himself and on somebody who could actually help. See, the Bible teaches that we have a lot of emotional needs. So if you're emotional this morning, God says, that's the way I made you. It's perfect. It's right. It's one of the differences that makes us humans, right? That we experience all this range of emotions and it's beautiful in its way. And one of the, our greatest emotional needs in life is simply this need to be accepted. We want to have a place where we belong. We want to have a place where we can call home. We want to know that somebody, sometimes anybody, cares. And when that need is not fulfilled, when that need is being violated, when we feel rejected, when we feel that everybody else has gone against us, the Bible calls that sin. And I think that's why divorce is so painful, to be honest. I think that's why God hates adultery. It's a rejection in almost every way. And so loneliness is so painful that people will try to do anything to escape it. They'll try to do drugs. They'll try to drink themselves to pass out. They'll go to computerized porn sites. You name it. I even heard about a guy who went to a psychiatrist and asked if he could have a split personality just so he'd have somebody to live with, you know. (laughs) But these are big deals. And these are real deals. And this is a time of year where all this stuff comes to the forefront, doesn't it? If you lost a loved one, it's hard to decorate the tree because of the memories. Because they're not there. If you've been through a divorce, you feel like your soul, your family's been ripped apart. And there you are. Whether you have the kids or you don't have the kids, it's not the same. It's different. You're trying to find a different way forward. And so the question you start asking is, how do you deal with this loneliness? And I think that's where Paul gives us some words this morning. And one of the first pieces of advice he gives us in this text is simply this. It's the idea of utilizing your time. And I'm not saying go crazy so that you don't have any time to think. That's, to be honest, one of the other mistakes that people make that we started out with, right? But hear me say this. You do have to do something. You make the best of a bad situation, but whatever you do, you must resist the temptation to do nothing. Why? Because loneliness has this tendency to paralyze. Paul said this in verse 13. It says, when you come, bring that coat that I left at Carpus at Tros and and, and bring my scrolls, especially the parchments. Paul says, if I'm going to be the lone, I might as well be comfortable. I bring my coat and books. And also recognize that there weren't heaters and air conditioning in Rome in the wintertime, especially not in the prisons. Actually hadn't been invented yet, right? But especially not in the prisons. And when it was cold, it was bitterly cold. And so you start asking, why is this all important? Because lonely people have a tendency to not take care of themselves. It's just a truism. They don't eat right. They don't exercise. They just don't tend to take care of themselves very well. And so Paul says instead, bring my coat and books. At least I'll have no interruptions. It'll be study time. I'll make the best of a bad situation. Now, Paul was a scholar. He was studying to be a Pharisee. He was an incredibly bright man. But even more than being a scholar... He was an activist. He wanted to be around people. He was a people person. He'd much rather be preaching in the Colosseum in Rome. He'd much rather be traveling all over the Mediterranean, starting churches, meeting people, sharing with people about Jesus. But he was stuck in prison, and so he, instead of just being miserable, he tries to make the best of a bad situation. And as a result, we benefit because we got the New Testament. Probably the only way God could get Paul to sit still long enough to write the New Testament was to put him in prison for a while so he'd have time to think, time to put it down. And so step one is utilize your time and cling to the promise that God works all things for the good of those who love him. Because you never know in the midst of the sadness, in the midst of that difficulty, what God can do. You know, I was a a vicar. That's what they call an intern when you're becoming a pastor. And it was my vicarage year. And one of the things I got to do is I got to go visit the people in the hospital so I'd make my regular rounds, and there was this guy named Gary um, that I visited. And he, he was an incredible man of God. He'd been an elder for, I don't know, 100 years, you know, and um, taught the Bible classes, incredibly well studied, loved the Lord. His family was believers. He, I mean, he prayed all the time. he kind of think Job. I mean, I'm, I'm glamorizing this guy, but he was, he was awesome. But he got cancer right as I was getting there. And, I, and they didn't find it early, and it was in its advanced stages, and he was going to die. Well, during my whole year there, I would visit him at the hospital, and he was in the, well, my whole year there, he was in the hospital this last part for three months, and he was just kind of clinging, you know? He could still communicate, but he was miserable. It was kind of hospice back in the mid-90s, right? They would kind of keep you in the hospital. And he'd keep asking the same question. Pastor or vicar, why am I still here? Why is God keeping me here? I've been faithful. I tried. I've, I, I don't know why he won't answer this prayer. Why won't he take me home? And I just say, I don't know. A week before he died, I visited Gary. and He was all excited. He said, Pastor, I know why I'm here. I'm like, well, tell me. You know, I don't know either. I've been praying about this. I don't, I mean, you know, I don't understand. And, and he pulled out three letters that he had gotten, one from each of the guys that had spent time in the bed next to him during that time. And each one was addressed to Gary, thanking him for introducing them to Jesus. And each one of these guys had gotten out of the hospital, gone and joined a church, and individually, by themselves, wrote Gary this letter saying, thank you so much for saving our lives. He goes, this is why I've been here. (laughs) Never underestimate what God can do even in the most difficult of times, even in the most lonely of times, remember that God works all things for the good of those who love him. There's a second thing, too, that Paul did, kind of an action step, another action step, and that's that he tried to minimize his hurt. It's easy to maximize your hurt when you're in the midst of the, the difficulty, but he tried to minimize his hurt, and that starts always with Forgiveness. And so we tried to play it down. You don't rehearse it. You don't go over it. Why? Because it just makes it bigger and it makes you more resentful and more painful. This is the way unforgiveness works. Somebody does something against you and now all of a sudden there's this well-worn tread in your life between you and them. And you can't quite forgive it because it was painful, because it was hurtful. And then they do something else and what do you do? You put it on top of that one. And then they do something else and you put it on top of that one and pretty soon you've got this wall. And at the end, it can be even little insignificant things that aren't really that hurtful to be sure, but you put it on top of this well-worn wall now that you've created because you can't forgive the first offense. And it makes you frustrated and it makes you miserable and it makes you angry and it makes you just flat out resentful about what's going on. Paul says, you've got to forgive. And it starts by trying to minimize the hurt in your life so you can get to forgiveness. Paul says, you need to refuse to become resentful. In verse 16, he says this. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Think about Jesus in the garden when they just fled. His response, may it not be held against them. Think of Jesus on the cross Father, oh, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. So Paul's not going to be bitter. Resentment only makes you lonelier. It builds walls around your life. Why? Because you've created this wall of unforgiveness or you're just rehearsing the hurt over and over and over. And here's another reality we don't like, it, but nobody likes being around a cynic or a critic or a resentful person. And so we make ourselves even more lonely because people start avoiding us. And so Paul says, minimize the hurt, forgive. Maybe even ask yourself this. If God can forgive me for some of the boneheaded things that I've done in my life, isn't it about time I start to forgive this other person? Right? For those of you that went through that reconciliation series, that's what he talked about, right? He says, God has forgiven us for so much, we tend to minimize what we do and maximize what everybody else does. God says it's time to forgive. And you minimize the hurts, and you cling to that forgiveness. And then he goes to another one, which is this. Recognize God's presence. This is so important. When you're lonely, where is God? The answer is he's right there next to you, by your side, clinging to you. There is no place that you are that God is not. God is everywhere. So often we just need to slow down enough to open our eyes to see it. He is there with me in verse 17 it says but the Lord stood by my side and gave me strength Jesus says I will never leave you nor will I forsake you and so no matter where you go in life God's presence is with you he just calls us to open our eyes you know through this whole series it's been one of the common refrains has been this we need to slow down enough to reconnect to Jesus I mean, that's what Advents are for, right? They created them way back in the day to get us to slow down so we could prepare for Jesus' coming. In our lives, we need to have weekly times, daily times where we're slowing down enough to hear Jesus' voice, to connect with His Word. That's where He talks with us, to be with Him. Even if it's 15 minutes a day, just some time where we can spend. Because here's the deal. If you cling to this, if you remember this, there is nowhere you will ever be in life that God is not right next to you. There is no situation in your life that you will ever have to go through alone. And he will find in him a strength that you can't comprehend, a peace that you don't understand, and a hope that continues. And then he goes on to this last one, and it's this emphasize others' needs. That's really the fourth antidote to loneliness. Focus outward on other people, not inward. Get your eyes off yourself. Quit having the pity party. That's just making it worse. In verse 17, Paul says this, The Lord stood by my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. I mean, that was Paul's life goal, right? Even when he was dying in loneliness, he wanted other people to know about Jesus. I always think about Gary when I read through this verse. He wanted people to know about Jesus. And so he stopped looking at himself and he looked at what he could do to help other people. Instead of saying, I'm so lonely, this is the way my 30 years of ministry is going to end, me being alone and nobody caring. Instead of complaining, instead of dwelling on that, Paul says, let me help other people. Let me tell them about the love that Jesus has for them. Because now, and why did he do that? Because you know that Jesus' love was not the solution only for his loneliness, but he knew that the love of Jesus was the solution for everybody's loneliness. That when we can get our eyes off ourselves and on Jesus, it changes everything. I know if the statistics are right, and I know from just the relationships I have with some of you, and some of you are feeling pretty lonely this morning. And if that describes where you are with things, then I need you to hear what God wants to tell you this morning, and it's this. First, he just wants to say, I understand everything that you're going through right now. And if it's painful, know that God is hurting for you. And if it's hard, know that God is sad for you. If somebody has sinned against you, know that that was not God's will, and he grieves over the sin that was done to you. But also understand that he knows exactly how you feel. The Bible says that he was tempted in all points as we are, and yet he sinned none. In other words, he understood every human emotion. There were times where Jesus was lonely, even in the closing moments of his life when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, right, knowing that the next day he would be strung up in a mock court. The day after that, he'd put put on a cross. He takes three of his best friends. Even Jesus had a need for human companionship. He takes three of his best friends and he says, man, this is, some major stuff is coming down the way. Would you just pray with me for a little bit? And they all fell asleep. Jesus comes back and says, can't you even stay awake with me for an hour? Have you ever been there where you feel like you're the only one going through it? There's people around you, but you're the only one really going through it. He felt alone. The next day they took him to the cross and they nailed his hands to the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was carrying all the sins of the world. God couldn't look at him. He couldn't look upon the sin so he had to turn away he was alone God wasn't there for him you think he, Jesus didn't understand loneliness he absolutely understood loneliness but the Bible also says that he overcame today he just says to you I love you and I care for you so much I hurt when you're hurting I tear up and I cry when you're struggling I want to relieve the loneliness in your life. I want to fill that void, that hole in your life with my love and with my forgiveness and with my strength and with my hope and with that peace that surpasses all understanding so that you would always know that I'm here for you, so that you would never feel lonely again. And to be fair, that is the gift that God gives us with Jesus at Christmas. He sent Jesus in the world so that we would never have to be lonely again. To provide a way for forgiveness, to provide a way for our eternity, so that we could always be with Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.